just after 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning, and that must mean it's time again for Money Management with Opus 111 Group's Mike Mail. Here's Mike. Good morning. Welcome to Money Management. I'm Mike Mail with the Opus 111 Group, and we're here at 9 Pacific to talk with you about the markets and the economy and give you some insights into what's going on and hopefully help make have you make some uh, better informed decisions. Things are a little silly of late and uh, I'm going to do my best to try and decode it for you. Right now, uh, uh, let me give you uh, Friday's closes. The Dow ended down 348. That was uh, just over 1%. It's at 32,889. The S&P ended at 4108. NASDAQ closed at 12,012. The uh, Russell 2000 ended at 1883. Gold settled at 1854 an ounce. Silver was at 2193. Crude at 118.67, up about four dollars a barrel a week over week. Ten-year Treasury also strongly higher at 2.95 percent, up 20 basis points in a week. And soft white wheat settled at 11.18 a bushel. Now, the big economic report we've got coming out uh, this next week will be the CPI report on Friday. And we've been seeing some uh, softening in some of the prices, but uh, no one's willing to call it a trend yet. Hopefully, we'll get more information in that regard come uh, next week. Now, just because it just finished last week, uh, May was a little bit of a roller coaster, if you may recall. and But uh, all three indices ended about unchanged. The Dow was about unchanged. The S&P gained, you ready for this, 0.0053. Take it where you can get it. And the Nasdaq was off about 2.1%. Now yesterday we had that sell-off. I just mentioned the data. Uh, and the reason is, is that traders are, of course, projecting the end of the world on most of these news items. They're, they're concerned that higher rates will slow the economy too much and tip it into a recession. And, uh, you know, the higher interest rates also uh, put pressure on future earnings, which makes uh, stocks look less attractive, in the, especially in the growth and tech areas. And, yes, the tech shares sold off a bunch uh, yesterday. Micron down 7%, NVIDIA down 3%, uh, Alphabet, Facebook, uh, Alphabet 2.8% lower, uh, Facebook 44 Apple is what really set them off because they got a uh, nasty gram from Morgan Stanley saying that Apple's app store growth could hurt the company in the near term. Well, if you're a trader, that makes sense. But if you're an investor, that's like, well, that's unfortunate, but, you know, let's continue to march, my opinion. So, you know, it's very hard to have consecutive weeks or even days of strength because there's so much worry that people use any piece of good news as a chance to sell. You know, again, week over week, this just past week, the market was down just about 1%. Even after all that upping and downing and oh my goodness and everything else, 1%. No meaningful figure. And, and that's what happened yesterday. The good news was that, hey, we uh, hired a whole lot more folks uh, than what we anticipated. I'll talk about that in a minute when I get to some economic notes. And that's a good thing. And uh, the unemployment rates nationally still at 3.6%. Good things. 
But this is the time when traders turn good news into bad news. So how is that bad news? Well, if we're having still a very strong labor market, and we do, well, that means the feds likely won't reduce interest rates. And so if they don't reduce interest rates, well, then we know that the world will end soon uh, because that's what they're thinking right now. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be quite so cavalier about it, but it really, it's illogical to be polite. You know, because in case you forgot, uh, for the last 12 years, less a couple months, the annual compounding in the stock market has been a positive 17.6%. So these uh, sideways, the sideways market, because that's pretty much where we're in right now, in the last month or so, we've been in a sideways market when you look at it. It isn't up a lot, it isn't down a lot. It's trading in what they call a trading range because of the uncertainty. So, you know, again, don't get too caught up in the headlines. I'll say that zillion times. The headlines are not a good way for you to trade. Well, if you're a trader, that's what you do. But as a, a normal person investor, you know, it's just, well, that's interesting. And, you know, just continue to do whatever you're doing. Now, and interestingly to me, investor psychology, consumer sentiment, they're about as bad as they usually get. And that doesn't mean they can't get worse, but, you know, what if? What if all or a great part of this concern is already factored into the prices? What if consumers become so afraid that despite having jobs, despite historically very low household debt service needs, and despite holding huge cash balances, <laughs> They just quit buying things. You know, rates, mates. If the consumer doesn't buy, inflation breaks. QED. I don't think that's going to happen, but that could happen. Now, if you go back to the summer of 82, I was present for duty then. If When the market becomes convinced that inflation is dead, or just dead enough, really, interest rates can drop like a rock and the market can soar on a dime. I remember it very well, August 1982. Uh, I won't go into the gory details, but there was a, an announcement that was made that just flipped the market and the market, which had been pretty much dead in the water for almost 10 years, turned around and proceeded to become the 80s and the 90s and the 00s and so on from there. See, at some point in every significant market decline, the risk begins to change. The relative risk begins to change. And, and while the whole world, at least as far as the financial media is concerned, remains terrified of being caught in a further market crash, and that certainly seems to be the operative term today, you know, you may start thinking, hey, maybe this is turning because maybe I should change this around a little bit. You know, and, and once you start thinking along those lines, you may decide the real risk isn't being in the next 20% decline. It's being out of the next 100% advance. Now, Goldman Sachs uh, analyst Chris Hussey had this note. He said, taken together, when coupled with last week's higher than expected uh, PCE reading, the, uh, the Fed's preferred uh, data for in, uh, inflation, and the increase in personal spending, the data is painting a picture of a country that is still humming along. Yes, it is, Chris. You're absolutely correct. 
Now, he added, too, normally such signs of strong economy would be welcomed by the markets. But today, investors are doing the opposite. Once again, you saw that yesterday with the goofy traders, you know, perhaps out of concern that the Fed's hikes haven't done enough to tamp down inflation. And, of course, the Fed may have to do more than what they had expected. And the soft landing they were hoping for will perhaps not be quite as soft. Now, Rob Hayworth, he's senior investment strategist at U.S. Bank Wealth Management. He had this to say, our view is cautious as we close out the second quarter. Global bank uncertainty, pace of higher, excuse me, tighter monetary policy, still tight global energy markets, well, which may lead to higher prices still and or headwinds for corporate earnings growth are risk for investors moving forward. Well, and who's buried in grants too? I mean, those are kind of, yeah. That's pretty self-evident. Now, here, here's, I want to uh, hit something on bear markets. You know, bear markets occur when an economy structurally changes. Volatility occurs when you have the prior market leadership, in a, which had been serving a pre-existing economy, uh, kind of gets taken over by the new leadership. And despite any historical precedent, Investors are typically hesitant to reposition their portfolios when the economy changes for reasons best known to themselves. They tend to cling to the old leadership thinking, oh yeah, stocks underperformance is only temporary, it'll come back, and oh, if it doesn't come back to at least what I pay for it, I can never sell it. That's how you continue to auger right into the ground. Uh, it, you know, and, and our current volatility isn't unique, not even close. It seems to rather reflect a significant shift in the economy just in the sector returns. Global economy is going through major structural changes, changes that could alter the secular trend in inflation and interest rates. So it kind of makes sense that new leadership uh, should be better suited for new secular trends that are actually emerging. Right now, uh, I want to just suggest that, you know, I was talking about uh, how we're going through major structural changes in the markets. And... You know, the pro-inflation sectors, that doesn't mean they're cheering them on, but they respond well to inflation, um, are, you know, like the uh, energy and materials, the financial issues, uh, they've been among the leaders. And yet the sectors that benefited most from well, the last 10 years or so of disinflation and <laughs> no interest rates, basically, tech, communications, consumer discretionary, well, they're at the other end of the coin. That's called cycles. That's just how it goes. It doesn't mean that they turned into terrible companies, although some of them perhaps deserve that title. Some of the certainly main names are only a change in stock price. And please understand that stock prices don't necessarily reflect the true value of a company. Don't make it up. Just because you own it doesn't mean they have value. But uh, some very quick homework will prove to you whether or not your company is worth perhaps holding or not. And from a tactical sense, if you have a uh, non-qualified account, non-qualified means a non-retirement account, you can take losses for tax purposes. I I'm not going to get into this in great detail, but uh, check with your tax person. You can take losses for tax purposes, sell something that's down, but you still like it. You think it's a good company. Uh, and then 31 days later, calendar days, you can buy it back and still use the loss and 
likely uh, in a current market environment, the stock will be similar price as it is now, and you kind of reinvent the wheel and let's go get it again. But, you know, uh, only in non-retirement accounts. It does you no good in a retirement account. Sorry. But don't cling to the past. Just because it worked before doesn't mean it's always going to work or work as well is perhaps a better way to say it. You can't invest using a rearview mirror. How would you like it if you're going on a trip and your pilot, their, their cockpit windows are all blacked out, but they get a rearview mirror stuck up that they can look at and see where they've been, and yeah, they're going to take you to wherever. I think that would be a pretty short trip. Don't use a rearview mirror to invest with. The economy is always changing. I mean, it is. It just That's how it goes. Now, you know, the fear of the unknown, creepy. That's seems to be a congenital issue, right? I mean, and so, okay, that's natural. But how much are you willing to pay for uncertainty and fear? Well, right now, that cost is around 25%. What that means is, is that you've given up those folks who are, how would I say, affected by this particularly, have given up about 25% return to hold on to the quote-unquote old ways. As I just said, U.S. global economies have always changed and will continue to do so, I think. And every, this is for real. There is no one sector or one market segment that is appropriate for every economic environment. Things like the tech, innovation, disruption, venture capital, yeah, they were okay for secular disinflation and dropping rates. But other sectors now seem to be better positioned for what's ahead of us. So let's talk about some economic stuff. I'm going to do the biggest thing first. The uh, what do they call it? The elephant, the gorilla, whoever's in the room with us here. The R word: recession. Ooh. You know, the only thing new in the world is the history you don't know. Harry Truman had that thought, and I think that's pretty true about the reaction by a lot of our traders, pundits, and investors about this recession stuff. I say they don't know because they've never lived through one. Now, the official National Bureau of Economic, what is, NBER, I forget what the last word is, R is, but anyhow, their definition is, they're the guys who set the rules for this. A recession involves a significant decline in economic activity that is spread across the economy and lasts more than a few months, unquote. So, given the economic data, I think it's straight up foolish to say we're in a recession now. I mean, come on. We've got low unemployment, job growth. <laughs> Yesterday the market goes down because we have too many jobs. I mean, cheapers. And the other signs of economic health, it makes all that moot. And because the economy is cyclical, that means there's always going to be a recession someday. That's what they call business cycles. So, but it's more about timing. So is one of these things imminent? Mm, I don't think so. Not in this quarter, not the third quarter, not the fourth quarter. Uh, maybe sometime next year, but, you know, things change. To, say, to cast these kind of uh, predictions in stone when you've got all this time ahead of you, that, no, makes no sense. It could happen, but, it, you know, maybe it doesn't. You know, because most of the indicators of economic contractions are not present today, sure, inflation remains a concern, absolutely. 
you know, the, but when you do, well, if we did a compare and contrast of 2022 with each of the six prior recessions going back to 1979, and we saw none of the early signs of contractions in any of the 50 states. Matter of fact, the current monthly state index shows all, all 50 states have economically expanded. That only not makes it impossible to be in a recession today. It makes it highly unlikely you're going to be one anytime soon. So, let's put that recession thing away. You know, it's the media. They learned how to spell it, so it's good. They're going to be beating your beating you about the head and shoulders with it for some time yet. Now we did have three major macro events that are you know big big picture economy things that are taking place this year. Fed is raising rates. There are no more checks from the government, one hopes, and services are reopening quite readily. And while spending on goods is slowing down, the biggest part of the economy in our economy is the service sector, 73%, I think, is opening up. Once again, why have a recession? So we're, we're at an odd crossroads. Many of the numbers continue to look good, but the outlook for the near future is very pessimistic. I have never seen a gap this wide between the data, the economic reports, and the outlook. I don't know what these people are smoking. You know, the, the, the housing market is booming. Sure, it's backing off somewhat, but it isn't 2008, is it? The jobs market is on fire. Summer businesses can't find folks. Uh, and there's now still two job openings for every unemployed person. But a lot of these pundits and financial folks, media folks, Oh, we're going to be in the 70s. That's it. 1970s, that is. I know we're going there. Why? Who knows? But, you know, and another good example for non-recession, strength in corporate profits. The S&P, just in this first quarter, it's, uh, uh, we haven't got all this. We won't get all the second quarter numbers just yet. But the uh, in the first quarter, 375 companies beat their earnings expectations. That's a lot. 375 of 500. And sure, while many companies did have supply chain issues, they're still having strong demand. Folks are spending money. Manufacturing sector continued to expand in May, slightly faster pace, 15 of 18 industries reporting growth. Service sector continues to expand in May. And one comment in the, in the May report, I've got to read it, uh, make sure I get it right. He said, describing the current environment, this is from a person who is actually in the business, exhausting, continuous shortages, transportation delays, price increases all contribute to the destruction of historical lead times and firm commitments on delivery dates. It's relentless. And, and that's what happens when you add money to a, then a faster pace and you can grow output. And when you put all kinds of, how might I say, unnecessary restrictions on how to do business, no. But until the Fed gets money growth under control, I'm afraid we're going to have to deal with these problems for a while. You know, home prices continue to jump in March. Uh, the Case-Shiller Index showed a, uh, is up 20.6% year over year. That was a record. And uh, Tampa, Phoenix, Miami, the biggest uh, jumps. Minneapolis, D.C., and Chicago uh, were the slowest gainers. And, uh, you know, look for further gains in the remaining months of this year, but at a 
much slower average pace. You know, if you're a homeowner, the last two years have been pretty dang good. It says here that in the two years from year end 2019 through year end last year, home equity total rose almost seven trillion dollars. That's that's a bunch. And and but prior price gains, which led to that, uh, plus. Uh, higher, moving higher mortgage rates will probably be headwinds for further price gains uh, over the near term. But I can assure you that many homes have been bought and sold at rates significantly above what people are thinking of as a high mortgage rate right now. And, well, rates did dip slightly uh, last week for the uh, third straight week. Now it's at 5.09%. And conversely, the number of listings jumped for the first time since 2019, that according to Realtor.com. And I, th- I just wanted to put this one in because it was such a point of uh, conversation for a while. Two-by-fours, you know, they were all over the place, right? You know, <laughs> Here's a two-by-four or I'll get a new truck. I don't know which one. But uh, the futures for July were down 52% from early March. And the uh, spot wood prices, in other words, cash wood prices, have also dropped because lumber buyers are slowing orders and the wood is piling up at the mills. So I doubt that it's exactly bargain hunter time, but it's certainly cheaper than it has been. And this last week we had uh, this announcement from OPEC and OPEC Plus uh, about increasing production to uh, help supposedly fill in the demand cycle for the globe and more particularly us but uh, that don't hold your breath Um, they're likely going to fall behind their target in the months ahead anyway because they're not even producing above the target they set for April but the Saudis you know who's there yeah we'll do that Um, I'm thinking this personal opinion I think this is mostly political uh, because they're making a bunch of money. All they want to do is make nice-nice for D.C. for whatever reason. And uh, I think it may have helped them to diplomatically, but in the real world, it's a drop in the ocean for oil markets. It's even you know, like they tried to do this, uh, releasing the strategic oil reserve. Yeah, you saw that make a big impression on the pumps price, didn't you? Yeah. I'm sorry, these people don't understand economics. You know, with this improvement in the jobs market, changing gears, I I reiterate, no recession in sight, not yet. Non-farm payrolls up 390,000 votes. And the uh, civilian employment, which is small business startups, increased 321,000. And as I've said earlier, the unemployment rate at 3.6%, even though we had a big jump in jobs because of the increase in the labor force. However... When you look through the data, it's not so much we created new jobs over the past 18 months. It's that a lot of the folks who were laid off during the lockdowns are simply coming back to work. So we still have fewer jobs, actual jobs today, than we did in early 2020. But you want the good news? The increase in the labor force is good because the number of people who are either working or looking for work should continue to grow over the next year. Now, the economists believe, and i got to go with them on this one, the pace of job gains is going to slow. It's not, the, these levels aren't sustainable. Uh, 
and again the Fed's trying to do this one uh, they control the labor market soften the labor market to help get uh, check inflation so where does it leave the Fed well they're still in need to tighten monetary policy and put it under control but that increases the risk of recession and here we go again but not until likely and again your yours truly semi-humble opinion at early 23 at the earliest now that uh, just as some little research I found I thought was kind of interesting it's like how we got here Jason Zweig is a and well he's a now he writes books he also is a, a columnist for the Wall Street Journal he said that from the bottom in March of 2020 to March 23rd of 2021 the big jump 96% of U.S. stocks had positive returns. That was the highest percentage of winners over any 12-month period in history. It makes it look easy, right? I mean, you know, here you've got a year where it just went straight up. Anybody can do this. Everybody's getting rich. You know, stocks, crypto, specs, <laughs> IPOs, collectibles, pick it out. It all went up, didn't it? But some folks didn't get that. You know, a lot of them got in at the top, lost it all. Uh, there are people who actually started first ever buying individual shares in 2020 and made a bunch of money by following the hot dot, as they say. But most of those dots uh, or stocks have completely given up those gains and then some. So, it, like I said, it's not that easy. Interestingly to me, uh, the Fed uh, recently conducted a survey on consumer health that found that 78% of respondents said they're doing at least okay. That's the highest result in the survey's history. You know, I'm back to this, where are these people coming up with all this world-is-ending stuff? It, it, it doesn't jibe with the data. It's an attitude thing. And if, the, I don't know if this is a prejudice, a bias, or just the facts jack but the way that the media continues to beat up people about recession slow economy oh my goodness it beats you right up into the uh, confidence uh, I mean how can you have confidence if everybody's telling you that things are terrible regardless of what your own situation is I'm not I'm not saying there's no inflation I'm not saying that there are challenges that's not my point see because the market's agnostic it doesn't care about uh, your emotions it looks at data and it typically looks out three to thirty uh, months in terms of trying to figure out where things are going to go and you know this is a one of those little bits that always has interested me about the, the market is that pessimists sound smart all these guys are saying you know things are terrible and here's why and here's what you can expect all these gold guys coming out of their woodwork. Oh, yeah, you got to have gold. You know, whatever. It, pessimists sound smart, but optimists make money. And feel free to write that down. And scared money doesn't make money either. You know, there's historically, and I've been present for a few of them, there were times when stocks have gone nowhere for a decade. Read the OOs uh, in the past. This is why stocks are called risk assets. You don't get the high returns without the possibility of low returns. Okay, It's a two-edged sword. Let's say the market does struggle from here for a period of time. I don't know how long. It doesn't matter. So what do you do to protect yourself? 
one word, diversify. Now you say, ah, oh, Mike, hey, you always say that. Of course I always say it because it's true. It works. It's the answer. You know, the, the, the funny thing about investing is it's not really that hard to do the mm, <laughs> toting and lifting, if you will. It's the emotions that get you in the way. But if you're diversified, then you're not betting. You're not putting all your money on one sector or one stock or one fund or whatever. Diversify. Different sectors, different kinds of companies in different areas. You know, and funds are an easy way to, whether they're mutual funds, traditional mutual funds or ETFs, a great way to get a lot of diversification without you having to be pulling your hair out figuring out, should I buy this one or that one? And even if the S&P does underperform for a few years, it doesn't mean that all financial assets are going to go down too. Now, and as I said right before the break, you know, even when the S&P underperforms, I say S&P just because for reference purposes, you know, it, it's 500 stocks, but it doesn't mean all financial assets will follow, and they won't because there are some that are what's called negatively correlated. In other words, they will not to stocks in general. So if stocks go up or down, these things tend to do the opposite. So you get that balance going on. But but there's been plenty of things that held up. You know, when, uh, you know, sometimes bonds did better, the value stocks did better, sometimes it was the small cap stocks, whatever. But after accounting for inflation, and I, again, was prison for this period of time, U.S. stocks were down more than 16% over 11 years, from 1970 to August 1981. But the Japan index for the last time, was up nearly 175%. And from 2000 to 2008, S&P down 40%. REITs, Real Estate Investment Trust, were up 75%. Um, but, you know, the future never plays out like it did in the past, so you're not exactly sure where to put those chips. So that's why you don't try to move them around. You just say, okay, I'm going to get diversified. This is my strategy. This is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to stick with it. Over the past decade, diversification wasn't exactly a good thing because all you had to do was own large cap growths and if you owned anything else, you felt like you were doing poorly. No, because now these other things are starting to do better. You know, I don't know if the stock market is going to have a rough patch or not, but I do know that the way you protect yourself is through diversification. It is a hedge against the unknowable future. Now, most of the economic news is still quite good, but it is a lagging effect. You know, job market strong, housing markets on relative fire. Uh, and the analysts have been consistently raising their uh, earnings estimates for 2022. March of last year, uh, the street was only expecting the S&P to make $200 a share this year. Today's consensus is 10% higher than that. You know, it's really easy to forget how overly pessimistic folks were during the lockdowns. And if you go by yesterday's close, the S&P is at about 18 times this year's expected earnings. That's not unreasonable. You know, as things stand now, I believe, the threat to the market isn't from future growth. That looks pretty good. Instead, the threat comes from potentially lower valuations due to the high interest rates. See, because... The price-to-earnings ratio, the P.E. ratio, as it's called, tend to be negatively correlated with interest rates. That means they go the other way. The lower rates go, 
the higher the multiples can rise. And if you have a higher interest rates, that puts a squeeze on those P.E. ratios. If you go back to 1980, the P.E. ratio for the S&P was down to 6.4. Today's market would have to fall by about two-thirds to get there. Uh, don't be looking for ledges. It's fine. We're not going to do that. And this is why inflation is such a problem, because the faster the Fed can get the upper hand, the um, better it will be for everybody's portfolio. Now, if, and I presume this to be true, most portfolios of investors are relatively tied to the S&P 500. I don't mean as an index fund per se, but I mean, you know, uh, it's influenced heavily by the S&P. And so I'm going to use that for a proxy. And then... Um, JPS, excuse me, JP Morgan Asset Management has these great re reports they put out from time to time. And they say that the average intra-year drawdown, in other words, uh, the, from the high to a low during a market year, has been, this from 1980 to now, has been 14%. Okay, so as, as far as this temporary decline, the one we're in right now, because it, it surely is temporary, it seems to us to only be a little above average. Although, again, as I've said many times and probably will continue to because it's always been like this as long as I've been doing this business, when you look at the financial news, it's like we're at the opening of Armageddon. But here in the real world, there's a couple interesting developments which are either ignored or poo-pooed by the financial media that have been taking place. Ford earnings estimates for the mainstream stocks have continued all but counterintuitively, to rise. See, don't they know there's a horrendous recession? That's certain. It's been on CNBC and all the papers. Yeah, sarcasm alert major. And as the market has declined, the 12-month forward PE of the index, in other words, of the S&P 500 looking out 12 months, has dropped by nearly a third to about its 10-year average. So, big round numbers. The consensus 12-month forward earnings forecast for the S&P is around $237. At about $4,100 on the index, S&P index, that's about $16.9. Now, the 10-year average, this according to facts that I didn't make it up, is $16.9. Hmm. See, you, <laughs> this is the stuff they don't talk about on CNBC because it would require them to actually... Uh, not be shilling something. So the U.S. and global economies have always changed through time and are going to continue to do so. I've said it a hundred times. I'll say it again. They've, and it seems very unrealistic that any one sector, market segment, is appropriate for every economic environment. So, you know, the risk, well, I'm sorry. I just jumped ahead. I shouldn't have said that. Um, Going into the Memorial Day weekend, we had three important developments, which, of course, got very little notice because the facts are positive. There was an upsurge in insert, insider buying, the folks who actually work for the companies and they're buying their own shares, which is allowed. You just have to disclose it. And so there was something like 1,100 corporate insiders bought shares in their own companies in May the numbers of buyers actually exceeded the numbers of sellers for the first time since March of 2020. 
And that's according to a data provider called the Washington Service. Well, why do you think they did that? Because the valuations are dropped. They work there. They know what those companies are worth. And while the consensus earnings estimates, in spite of the usual negative financial media commentary, continued to rise, the prices still dropped. At around 4100 on the S&P, again, it's down the uh, 12-month forward P.E. is about a third of its 10-year average. But I've said it earlier, I'll say it again. You know, the price of a share does not necessarily reflect the value of the company. In some cases, it truly does. But some of these big uh, name stocks, uh, no, no. It's just a, why wouldn't you buy more if it was cheaper and it's the same company? That's what I don't understand about a lot of investors' attitudes. They, well, I can't buy it at 40. It was just at 60. Oh, okay. I'm serious. I mean, that's how folks operate. But it's at 60? I'll take two, please. Human nature's a funny thing. Highly regarded economist Scott Granis. I follow Scott very closely. Been reading him for Jeepers Criminy, I don't know, six, seven years anyway. Uh, he reported uh, last Wednesday that the growth in the money supply, the M2 money supply, that's all the money, has fallen in the last three months, down from its all-time high set in February of last year. And that is a critical variable in inflation. So if we keep seeing that drop, that's a good, uh, if you will, behind-the-scenes indicator that we're going in the right direction. Now, the markets, how long are they going to go down? I have no idea. They'll go down as long and as deeply as it needs to. Then... You can't call a bottom, but know this, when the bottom does come, if it hasn't already, the velocity and trajectory of the advance will mirror those of the decline as they always do. So don't get out, stay in, assess your holdings, see if you need to take some of those tax losses we talked about earlier, or just sit back, have some bonbons, look out the window and say, I'll just ride this one out, thank you very much. Well, I appreciate you listening. Next week, you have the benefit of Mr. James Harvey, president of Opus 111. He's going to be holding forth in my place. I hope you have a great and productive week. Thank you very much for listening. This is Money Management. I'm Mike Mayo with the Opus 111 Group. Join us again next Saturday morning at this same time for the financial insight, opinion, and perspective of Money Management with Mike Mayo. Have a question or comment? You can reach Mike at our website, opus111group.com.